Hello again, and welcome to episode two of Ancestors Alive Genealogy from Paper to People. I'm your host with the most, Carolyn Neelachlan. Still no intro music because I'm just not that cool yet, but I hope to make up for that with sheer geekiness and dedication. Last week I said I'd discuss Social Security records in my second episode, but input and inspiration from David Richards thank you very much, David, and the intervention of some current events inspired me to lean in on a, uh, a different direction. So this week, I'm discussing consecration, Reese Thomas, and African-American genealogy, or reparational work. Now, reparational work and the concept of it and the concepts underlying it uh, underpin a lot of what it is that I do. And um, it's very important to me for a lot of reasons. I wanted to explain it to you a little bit so that you understood and understand going forward where it is that I come from and why it is that I teach the way that I do. Um, today, I'm speaking largely to white Mormons Um because there are a lot of things that white Mormon culture doesn't uh, discuss or realize about the great differences between European American and African American genealogy. And I also want to preface by saying that I'm going to be saying African American and black interchangeably. I'm also going to be saying European American and white interchangeably. Don't read anything into that. It's simply that sometimes it's easier to fall into one phrase or the other. Um, I also want to say that I don't speak for the church. I think that ought to be fairly obvious. I am an individual person who happens to be a convert to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I speak for my synthesis of my experience in the church and in my life, and that's it. Now, even if you're not Mormon and you're not European-American, there's going to be some good stuff for you here. So please bear with me and keep listening. I think it's going to be good. Um, I think the most important thing that I want to tell you is that underneath all of this, I believe that teaching and that research are my life's callings, and I'm still learning. So what I'm giving you is what I know so far. I believe that all people have a duty of care to one another, and whatever we know, whatever our strengths are or may be, our duty of care as humans is to buoy each other up. And if you're white or European American, don't get defensive as you listen to this. I'm not accusing you of anything or anything like that. Just listen and try to identify. Look inside yourself, be honest, and see where this can apply to you. Because I think that we can all learn from the fact that there are differences, real cultural differences imposed by centuries of history between African Americans and European Americans. And whereas there are negativities, there are problems there, it's not about me pointing a finger at anybody. If anything, it's me pointing a finger at myself. It's certainly about saying, okay, let's acknowledge that that is the truth and let's pick up and move forward in a positive direction. So um, the first thing I want to talk about is consecration. Uh, for people who are not Mormons, uh, you won't necessarily know what it is that we mean by that. So I, I pulled up a couple of citations here. Uh, there's a publication called LDS Magazine. And in 2013, uh, it said, and I'm paraphrasing, to consecrate something is to sanctify it, to purify it, and to set it apart for a sacred use, to make it holy, to de dedicate it solemnly to a special service, or to give it religious sanction as with an oath or with a vow 
or with a talent. And when we make that covenant of consecration, we agree to consecrate our lives, including everything that we have, we will have, we are, or we will be. And we consecrate our time, our talents, and our means to care for those in need, whether that is a spiritual need or a temporal need, and in building the Lord's kingdom. The Lord's kingdom part is obviously the religious significance for those of us who are LDS, um, but I think that consecration is something, a premise um, that we can all agree upon as being a fairly important uh, cultural um, need um, and, a, and a human need. Um, one uh, person in particular is quoted as saying, and how much is one able to give? Exactly as much as the Lord has given him or her, all that with which the Lord has blessed him or her or with which he will bless him or her. So um, we all give according to our own abilities and our own uh, needs and our own strengths and our own weaknesses. We do what we can, basically. We do our very best. And that's what I'm encouraging everyone to do. Um, as you progress in your work in genealogy and as you become um more facile in what it is that you do, handier in using the tools that are to hand. I hope that you will also choose to use your strengths and to expand upon them to assist other people. So uh, if you know how to do this work, genealogy, family history, I believe that it's your job, it's my job, to share knowledge, to research for other people, and to teach others self-sufficiency in genealogical research. And as European Americans, we benefit from a government and a society that was designed by and for European Americans. We have better records, so it behooves us to share our research and know-how as professionals and as hobbyists to benefit those who are trying to construct their ancestry by swimming upstream in a dry flow of records. And I'll discuss that more at length in a minute. Now, this isn't just true when we're talking about working with African Americans, but also when we're working with fostered and adopted persons because they have a serious records drought. And my experience is primarily with black researchers. So I'm going to talk about the African American or black experience as I perceive it from an extremely European or white uh, uh, point of view. So in Sunday school in church, for those of you who are not Mormon or LDS, we have two different sort of levels of Sunday school. There's like a beginner's level, which is gospel principles. And that just sort of introduces people to the principles that we believe in in the church. And then there's sort of a higher level, and that's called gospel doctrine. And there's a, a lesson, lesson 14 for gospel doctrine in this manual for gospel doctrine on a, a book that we have called The Doctrine and Covenants. And The Doctrine and Covenants is basically a subject matter diary of revelation to Joseph Smith, who is the guy who brought the church back, um, so to speak, uh, in the 1820s and 1830s. And it's like a, a rules and regs of being Mormon. Um, it's not the first thing that you get into when you join the church. It's something you dive into a little bit later when you've gotten your feet wet with sort of the basics. Um, but from this, uh, this Sunday School Gospel Doctrine uh, manual, there were some, some major points that I think are really cool. And I'm going to give the citations in case you are listening and you are Mormon and you want to look them up. The first is Doctrine and Covenants uh, 82, 17 through 19. 
And the statement is, to help the Lord's people improve their talents for the good of all, seek the interests of their neighbor, and do all things with an eye single to God's glory. So if we're talking about what consecration is in a slightly more vernacular way, it is to help other people improve their talents for the good of all, to seek the interests of their neighbors, and to do all things with an eye single to God's, or maybe even to society's glory. So I'm trying to give you um, a more scriptural view and then a more vernacular view for those of you who aren't members of the church. The second citation is Doctrine and Covenants 51.9, and that is to help the Lord's people be one. Um, I think that that's pretty much all the same, whether you're looking at it from a vernacular point of view or from a spiritual or religious point of view. Oneness is the goal here. And that's why I really try to heighten this point. Yes, I'm talking about white and black. Yes, I'm talking about European American versus African American, but only versus in terms of stating that they are two separate experiences in the public record. I'm not saying that there needs to be a fight there. I'm saying that the way that we solve problems is first by acknowledging that they're there, right? Step one in AA, what do they say? The first thing you have to do is say that you have a problem. And from there comes the solution. The next Doctrine and Covenant citation is 78 uh, verses 3 through 7. And the definition is to make the Lord's people equal in earthly things and help them receive a place in the celestial kingdom. So if you want to vernacularize that, I would say to make people equal in earthly things and to help them receive an equal place in the work, in daily life, in genealogy. I'm not really sure. If you have an idea with that, by all means, give me feedback. I'll give you my email at the end of the episode as, as I will every week. But um, the thing is that we have to recognize that the record, vital records, census records, all of the records that we use to construct a family tree, they're not equal. They're not equal between European Americans and African Americans. And um, so what we have to do when we are Mormon, and especially if we are white, is we have to be working with people to help them fill in the blanks. Since our records are really good, white people's records are really good, um, you know, we're, we have census going all the way back to 1790 that acknowledges at least the fathers in the family, if not the moms. Um, we need to do everything that we can uh, in conjunction with DNA research to help other people who have less access to do their work for themselves. Okay, so sorry if I've restated myself 50 times. Um, the last citation is Doctrine and Covenants 78 verse 14, to help the church stand independent above all other creatures. And if you want to take that into the vernacular, I would say that is to help one another stand independent above all other creatures or to help one another stand independently each in our work, in our research, so that we can grow independently as researchers doing our own thing and not having to rely on other people all the time. Because one of the most important points that I try to get across to African-American folks when I'm working with them is I'm not trying to be a savior to you. I'm not trying to swoop in, do all of your work, give it to you like it's a present and it's a piece of charity and then disappear. 
That's not it. I would rather teach you to fish than fish for you and then let you do your own thing. Take ownership because after all, for everybody, your own family history is your own family history and that's how it should be. So that's the goal of doing reparational work. Now, how is African-American genealogy different from European-American genealogy? The first thing is that it's folklore dependent. Um, it's very much more old school than it is uh, using ancestry, my heritage, and family search and things like all these kind of you know online things, um, because these databases of documents have replaced boxes of certificates and letters and other kinds of documents that families normally hold and historically have held to be able to prove points about who's who and what they've done and everything like that. Um, but there's a reason why it's more folklore dependent. In-person procurement of vital records is also more important because some locations have historically been lazy about digitizing records for African-American uh, populations, or they didn't take the records in the first place. And there could be a few reasons for that. It could be that people didn't if they're living in outlying areas, they didn't want to trek into town to report a death or a birth. Um, maybe marriages didn't get uniformly recorded in some given locale. Uh, it's, it's very sketchy as to exactly why and how these things happened. All we know is in looking at what's available online right now, there are potholes in the information, and that's important. Um, African-American genealogy relies more on family record stashes in shoeboxes in the attic or under the bed or even family Bibles. And, and again, it's because there is a lack of digitized online availability of records. And, and that's important. Why? Why underlying all of that? Jim Crow. Um, if you don't know what Jim Crow is, I urge you to Google that and to read about it. It may sound unlikely, it may sound alien, but the fact is that to this day, African-Americans are not treated the same way by government offices as European-Americans, and it's simply a fact of life. So what do we do? Do we point? Do we assign blame? No. We accept what it is, and we move forward. One of the major problems in African-American research, probably the biggest, is what's called the brick wall. It's the 1870 census. Many people do not realize, I'm certainly among my students, they do not realize that 1870, being the first census after the end of the Civil War, the first census after emancipation, man, that which is mandatory manumission of slaves um, and freedom of, for all African-Americans, um, it's the first one where African-Americans were uniformly listed by first and last name in family groups with dad and mom and all kids and all of their ages and their birthplaces and all of that stuff listed out. Now, for European-Americans, 1790, 1800, 1810, 1820, 1830, and 1840 all show head of household and hash marks delineating male or female and how many in each age group live in a given household. And then there are property schedules because part of the purpose of census was taxation. And those property schedules include, yes, slaves, because enslaved persons were property. 
and they were listed by hash mark for male or female and age. They were not listed by name, not first name, let alone first and last name. By the time we get to 1850, it's the first time that in white households, mom, dad, and kids are listed, and that's great. For white researchers, that's awesome. But unless you were descended of a free black person and you are black, you can't find your ancestors until 1870. So that's the brick wall, and it's an enormous problem. And then last of all, societally imposed broken families and the fluidity of marriage and common law marriage, who raised whose genetic children, these are all issues that are much more problematic and common in black culture than in white culture. And for more on this, all I can say is that uh, a really good Google search would be books about the structure of African-American families, and you'll find something interesting, I'm sure. There are a lot of titles out there. Unfortunately, I don't have the time to go into that with you right now. So I said that current events were part of what inspired me, uh, and for this episode, I want to close out with a personal anecdote. Um, I don't know how many of you watched the Golden Globes. I'm not so much in the Golden Globes anymore, but I used to be. But um, I am responding to Oprah's speech. It was an amazing speech. It was a, a life-altering speech for a lot of people. And she talked about Reese Corbett Thomas. Now, if you don't know who Reese Thomas is, Google her name. You will find a lot of stuff. Basically, in 1944, she was gang raped by white men. And the NAACP investigation, headed by Rosa Parks, yes, that Rosa Parks, and the urge to prosecution... Um, which was unsuccessful, was a kind of a forerunner of the Me Too movement. And so I went to look at the New York Times article about Reese Thomas. And in it, it stated her birth date and her birth and married names. It named her father. It gave her death date and her death place. And that was enough to start a tree. And I thought, wait a minute, has anybody done the work on her family tree yet? Maybe they have, maybe they haven't but I'll dig in and find out. So I started doing her work on ancestry and I found out by starting to use my magical Mormon status to transfer research over to family search that sure enough, her family tree is not available on family search, which is free and public. And so that's like the number one place that it should be for all researchers to be able to use in the future. All of her family members deserve that. And they don't have it. So I started transferring people over. And her dad's side is pretty stymieing. But as I worked on her mother's side, I found something absolutely extraordinary. Reese Thomas died on the 28th of November of 2017, just a, a week, a week and a half ago, whatever. She was 97 years old. And I found her third great-grandparents, Ned and Rhoda Lynn, their estimated births in Virginia were 1790 and 1795, respect, respectively. And I can't even tell you how uncommon that is because her entire family was enslaved. She is not descended of any free blacks that I can find thus far. And that, that's absolutely nuts. That is a really cool thing. Now, that doesn't make me awesome or anything like that. That makes me a busybody. But this is the kind of thing that we should be doing, because as I use my magical Mormon status to transfer 
each individual from her family over from completely researched in ancestry to completely annotated in family search, all of that information will be available to anybody who doesn't want to pay for an ancestry membership, but wants to do research in that family. And that's what's important. I can teach you how to do this. If you're in Metro New York, I can teach you in person, but in future broadcasts, I can teach you tips and tricks about methodology, relative weight of data from a variety of sources and resources, and how to maximize Ancestry's resources to your advantage. So thanks very much for listening. Find me online at ancestors-alive.com and on Facebook at Ancestors Alive Genealogy. Follow me on Twitter at Ancestors Alive. I'm even on Instagram at Ancestors Alive Genealogy. If you have a request, a dispute, a book recommendation, anything, you just want to say hi, you can contact me at Ancestors Alive Genealogy at gmail.com. Have a great week. Do your research. And above all, expect surprises.